0: If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey
1: today with Byte. Hi there, Neil and Dre
0: here. While we gear up for all new episodes of Passport and Misinformation, we wanted to share something with you guys in our feed.
1: Greetings from Somewhere is a beautifully produced podcast about the world. A show after our own heart, obviously.
0: A charismatic host named Zach Mack. Some excellent sound design, and we
1: were instantly in. So we wanted to share with you one of our favorite episodes so far.
0: Zach has gone to Burning Man, Mount Rushmore, Disneyland. He's taken trains, planes, automobiles, and wheelchairs.
1: He's lived the van life, and asked a man who walked 4,000 miles across the USA the big questions. But to get
0: into this brilliant new show, we wanted to share with you episode one. It's the story of Maffa, Texas.
1: A tale of a little town made big, a selfie that pushed it over the edge, and the people who live there in this strange, small community grappling with tourism, development, and its future. It's a gem,
0: so enjoy. In the meantime, be sure to check out Circa and the Circa app on iOS over at the App Store. Or head to circatravel.com C-E-R-C-A travel.com
1: And please enjoy this wonderful episode of Greetings from Somewhere. We'll see you soon.
2: Hey folks, my name is Zach. I know you don't know me, but I host a travel podcast called Greetings from Somewhere. And today, we are going to play an episode of that show for you. If you like it, Please follow us at Greetings from Somewhere, wherever you get your podcasts, as they say. Okay, so today's episode is about a very hip and very tiny town in deep West Texas. Check it out. It's the summer of 2012, deep in West Texas, alongside a desolate two-lane highway. A woman in her 30s wearing an acid green shirt tucked into a black skirt and heels walks into the middle of the road to pose for a touristy photo in front of an art installation and the desert sky. Eventually, as pictures do these days, it winds up on Instagram. She's not the first person to take this cliche pic for the gram, and she certainly won't be the last. But this particular picture matters because the woman taking it has over 100 million Instagram followers. Her name is Beyoncé. Beyoncé went to Prada Marfa, that super famous art installation that looks like a Prada store way out in the middle of the desert. And it's around this time that the tiny city of Marfa starts to blow up.
3: Not in the middle of nowhere?
0: This isn't a store at all, it's an art installation. Marfa's the art capital of Texas,
2: Since then, this remote town that's three hours away from any city or airport, has been the subject of countless profiles from places like Vanity Fair and Vogue.
4: You got the Cowboys,
2: Border Patrol, you got hipsters coming in from out of town, New York artists wearing weird glasses and white pants. Anthony Bourdain filmed one of his last episodes here. 60 Minutes was also here.
5: It's made Marfa a capital of quirkiness.
2: There was an Amazon show starring Kevin Bacon set here. Dick, right? That's me. Celebs like Matthew McConaughey hide out here.
0: All right, all right, all right.
2: So we get it, right? This place with under 2,000 residents gets a lot of attention. It's got a lot of minimalist art, boutique hotels, and even trendy restaurants with vegan options. Yeah, Marfa is one of the hippest places I've ever been, and I live in Brooklyn. I wanted to start my travel show here because most people have never been, and it's one of the best road trips I've ever taken. But I especially wanted to revisit Marfa now because along with its art and its cool factor is this small community that's wrestling with things like gentrification, a push and pull around development. Oh, and tossing a pandemic that's brought in a bunch of -of out-of-towners seeking refuge from the city. There's a lot going on here that's easy to miss if you're just here for the weekend. Greetings from somewhere. I'm Zach Mack and this is Marfa Texas. When I first visited Marfa, I drove through hours and hours of empty desert. And when I finally arrived, the town was so small that I accidentally drove right past it without realizing. But now that we're here, let's slow down and take a little walking tour. And our first stop is the reason why people from all over the world come here in the first place. The art. Just out on the edge of town in the dry desert brush sits 15 giant concrete boxes and the Chinati Foundation a world-renowned contemporary art museum. So how did Marfa, this teeny tiny town in the middle of no man's land, become so famous for its art? It all starts with one guy, Donald Judd. For many years I'd been looking for empty
4: land that had not been damaged or destroyed, didn't have too many people. And I finally
2: realized that there was a large space in West Texas. Judd was a famous minimalist artist from New York who moved out to Marfa in the 70s and stayed. When he got here, he immediately bought up a bunch of property for his art, and so began the Judd era in Marfa. Judd's art uses a lot of negative space, which there is a ton of out here. The big, beautiful skies blanket the flat desert landscape and stretch out the horizon to feel almost endless. Judd passed away in the 90s, but that wasn't before helping out the slumping town. He is the reason Marfa is an artist haven, and the Chinati Foundation was founded around his ideas.
5: He was a quiet person. There was an aura of, you know, have you ever been around somebody who's super smart and they're, they're kind of, not to sound too woo-woo, but their vibration is different?
2: This is Steri Butcher. She moved to Marfa in the 90s and, like Judd, was drawn here by the open space.
5: It really had to do with landscape and the isolation was appealing.
2: The landscape is beautiful, but Marfa is way out there. It really takes a certain type of person to make it work here long term.
5: Marfa makes a lot of sense for those of us who live there. I think it doesn't necessarily make sense for a lot of people who visit or who read about it. Marfa, although it has some vestiges of wealth, is largely a poor place. It's full of working-class people who serve you in the cafe or clean hotel rooms. And then it's also got a lot of working artists and musicians and creative types. And so all of these people... They're all together.
2: And jumbled in there is this convergence of cultures that Judd's legacy has helped create. But since Judd's passing and the town's increased popularity, Marfa's begun to usher in a new era, an era best represented by our next stop. A mile down the road, we make our way into Marfa's main strip where we arrive at Hotel St. George a hip boutique hotel that opened just a few years ago. Honestly, it's pretty swanky. You walk in and you're met with this minimalist, modern vibe. The walls are white, some of the chairs and accents are that sleek charcoal gray color, there's splashes of exposed brick, clean lines everywhere. The four-story hotel has a bar with artisan cocktails, a restaurant for fine dining, an outdoor swimming pool, and a small bookstore that regularly hosts readings and exhibitions with well-known authors and artists. Yeah. And when you're here, you find yourself thinking, man, someone with expensive taste must have put this together. And that person is the owner, Tim Crowley. We're at his hotel because there's probably no establishment or person that better embodies what modern-day Marfa is driving towards, which is development. People in town like to talk about Marfa in three defined eras.
3: First, there was the, you know, Marfa is a dying town era. Then there was the Donald Judd era. And then one day, a man named Tim Crowley and his wife at the time came into town.
2: This is Mimi Shorts. She's an executive editor at Texas Monthly, and she wrote a lengthy piece about Crowley's impact on the town.
3: And Crowley had been a developer, and his wife was a gallery owner with a spectacular eye. And they kind of came to town and saw the potential.
2: Crowley arrived here in the 90s and has since amassed a lot of power and influence. He owns a number of buildings and businesses and employs a bunch of people in town. Also, he's a former trial lawyer, which makes him effective in his development deals and a little bit scary to people who oppose him, which some definitely do. The Judd era and the Crowley era are both defined by building, but building very differently.
3: Judd kind of took over the town, too, but in a different way. I think Judd developed things for himself, whereas Crowley was dependent on other people coming in and buying. You needed customers,
2: Now, I've personally never met Tim Crowley, and he declined to be interviewed for this podcast, but we got to talk about him for a second because his impact has a lot of implications on the town's future. And people in town have many thoughts about that and about Crowley.
5: With anyone who's really visible and has a lot of financial power and authority, he's something of a controversial
6: figure.
4: And he's done some great things. He's pissed a lot of people off, too.
6: I haven't spoken to Tim since January 3rd and probably won't speak to Tim anymore.
7: If you're expanding and you're bettering yourself, especially if you're creating more jobs for the community, I don't see a problem with it.
8: He's a developer, and I think that says it all. He's done some great things for the community. And that relationship to community is, is basically transactional at the best of times.
4: With both Donald Judd and Dan Crowley, you have to give them their due.
3: There were people who loved what he was doing, and there were people who really didn't like what he was doing. Again, you could sort of come down on either side.
2: This is Mimi again.
3: It's another kind of familiar story where a small town ends up kind of with just one wealthy benefactor. And with that dependence comes resentment. You know, I think Crowley is... You know, he's like wealthy people everywhere. He wants what he wants.
2: Regardless of what he wants, Mimi already pointed out what he needs, which are customers. And a lot of times that comes in the form of tourism. Because locals aren't the ones staying in these fancy hotels. Nah, they're the ones making the beds and serving those artists cocktails. So for Marfa, there's this larger question of what is the town building towards, and specifically who is it building for?
7: I want the growth to keep happening, but at the same time, I don't want so much gentrification in the city.
2: This is PJ Serrano. He was born and raised in Marfa and works a number of blue collar jobs. And he told me about this one time he took his girlfriend and his two kids to lunch.
7: Well, I decided, let's go check out this little restaurant. You know, I see a lot of people there every day. Went in there and spent $95 on chicken tacos. That was my lunch in Marfa, Texas.
2: I want to be clear, this was not Crowley's restaurant, and he is not the only one here curating fancy experiences for tourists. This is a larger trend, and not one particularly unique to Marfa. But the concern here for the locals is that this is quickly becoming a place that really isn't for them.
7: As far as change, I think things are just becoming too expensive that local people can't afford to live in this town that they end up moving out to other small towns where they can survive, you know? And so I think eventually, Marfa might become a ghost town,
0: Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up.
5: Three, what the fuck is going on? Y'all ready to turn this motherfucking desert out of light?
2: Let's go! All right, we are coming to you live from the C3 Presents Marfa
1: Music Festival. There are literally thousands of people that have descended on this tiny town in the middle of West Texas. Everybody here is having a great
2: time. I see people drinking, I see people smoking, I see people laughing, everybody's partying. We are on over 200 plus acres of desert landscape. Oh shit, this is my song. Okay, so there's not actually a C3 Presents music festival in Marfa yet, but the people at the world's biggest live events promoter, aka Live Nation, sure as hell want there to be.
3: There was a plan to have an enormous sort of Bonnaroo type music festival on a private ranch outside of town.
2: Again, this is Mimi Shorts at Texas Monthly. She said when the town found out about plans for the festival, they flipped out
3: when some of the townspeople got wind of it they really didn't want it probably would have brought some more money into town but there was enormous concern about fires there was also concern about health care because there's no hospital close by and The people who lived in town were worried that all of these people coming into the concert would strip the shelves of groceries and other supplies. So there was a huge uproar and showed some schisms in the town. You know, again, it was, are you pro-development? Are you no-development?
2: The plans for the festival this year fell through, even before COVID. But there's a decent chance this thing might still happen in the future.
3: It was unclear how much money would actually flow into the town, but it did seem like that would be a good reason to go ahead and do it. But if they set West Texas on fire, that would be a very bad reason to do it.
2: If you build it, they will come. And more and more people from all over are coming to check out Marfa.
3: A lot of the
8: tourists that are coming in, they're not art tourists. They don't quite, I get the feeling that they don't quite know why they're here.
2: Mary Fairley is a real estate agent who lives here. And she's right, when I first started looking into Marfa, I had no idea what it was or why I even wanted to go. I didn't know who Donald Judd was, I vaguely knew about the Prada store and its reputation, and I bought into the hype. Mary, through her job, she sees the direct impact of that hype.
8: I think I sold one house in 2009. I sold like 17 properties last year. It was insane. And that was the most that I've done.
2: She told me things haven't slowed down in the pandemic either. Actually quite the opposite.
8: Everyone wants to go away. People from New York want to go to Austin. People in Austin want to come to Marfa and they have been buying houses. It's been an incredibly strong market.
2: And Mary's a little conflicted because while business for her is booming, she knows what this stuff does to her town.
8: You know, there's a real love-hate relationship with that. And it's very hard for people to find affordable long-term housing here. So people that work in the service industry really are at a disadvantage because people have short-term rentals instead of long-term rentals.
2: Music festivals, housing prices, short-term rentals can all create real friction for the people who actually live here. So let's go to where these issues come to a head. Marfa City Hall, located in the heart of downtown and next to the city's only stoplight.
6: I guess you could say we have a housing shortage. People who really live and work here, they can't find rentals.
2: This is Buck Johnston. She's lived here 19 years, has a store in town, and is on the city council.
6: There's a percentage of short-term rental owners who it, it is a second or a third home, and they're not really invested in the community. They, they don't necessarily care about the impact of having a pool, all these people partying in you know at their short-term rental, and how it impacts their neighbors. So we're going to be addressing the short-term rentals. You know, we'll have some hearings probably on that. It's, I'm not saying let's close the town by any means, but, you know, just the short-term rental is- issue is something that we do need to address.
2: The council's trying, but more growth is coming. It's just a matter of when and how much. Plans for new hotels are already in the works, and that big music festival might still happen. Do you, do you get a sense that the city council and and the residents are in favor of that sort of growth?
6: I can't speak for the city council, but I would think the residents in general probably are not. <laughs> the city, you know, think of it from a financial point of view too. You know, like with that, we get sales tax, we get hotel motel tax. The city sort of wins on a financial level, but at what cost?
2: Real quick, and I want to be clear here: no one I spoke to is anti-tourism. They just don't want to be only tourism. There's so many examples of small cities that have been built up and hollowed out in the name of development and pushing out the people who made it interesting in the first place. Everyone here loves that people from all over the world come to Marfa, but they also love that over the past few months, they haven't had to deal with a festival every weekend, and they actually get to see their neighbors. Because even with all their differences, this is still a small, tight-knit community. The
6: thing that I think is so amazing about Marfa is that we are a community that cares for each other. And I think it showed how we handled the pandemic from the very beginning. We really took steps to take care of one another. And I just, I think it's so loving and wonderful, and it's made me love this town even more.
2: Like, what is your hope for the future? What do you wish to see?
6: Yeah, I hope that we can find, you know, a balance.
2: Okay, we've got one final stop, and it's the place where I ended each of my nights in Marfa, the Lost Horse Saloon. Just off the strip and sitting along the dusty main route that brought us into town sits a dimly lit dive bar. It's unpretentious and can get a little rowdy sometimes, but this place brings people together. And it's probably the only place you can say a cowboy, an artist, and Matthew McConaughey walk into a bar and not be describing the beginning of a joke. All right, as long as the train don't blow through town, we'll be all right. I don't know if you remember me, we met met on election night two years ago... The night Cruz beat Beto. Okay, was I drinking? You were drinking.
4: (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't remember.
2: (laughs) This is Ty Mitchell, a rancher and longtime owner of the saloon. We met a couple years ago on the night of the midterms. Now, of course, he doesn't remember, but I do because Ty is not one of those people you forget. For starters, just his appearance sticks out. He's tall, rocks a Yosemite Sam mustache, has a big cowboy hat. And if that wasn't distinguishing enough, he also has an eye patch. And as you heard him say earlier, he's often drinking at his own bar, sometimes a little bit too much.
4: I got banned from the bar by my bartenders, you know. They're like, you gotta go and don't come back for a week. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to the ranch. Wait,
2: wait, wait. How did you get banned from your own bar? <laughs> oh, foolishness.
4: You know, and I'm prone to it. I am a cowboy. I will overstep the mark a few times. Luckily, most people in Marfa are pretty forgiven. And, you know, after a week, they'd let me slink back in there. I'd promise to behave for a while, and I would.
2: Ty's one of those guys I would absolutely recommend getting a drink with, but I'm not sure I would love working for. Anyone who's getting thrown out of their own bar has got to be putting their staff through difficult positions. Funny thing is, one of his favorite memories of running the saloon is a time he pushed one of his bartenders a little too far.
4: One of my fondest memories is one of my bartenders quitting. And boy, I don't blame her. I was giving her a ration of shit. The local city boys were sitting there drinking beer at happy hour. We just opened. And she emptied one of them beer boxes throwing full beer bottles at me. And I was running and I looked like one of those targets in a carnival. Running back and forth and them beer bottles were just exploding on the wall. And she ran out the door, turned around, shot me the bird. You know, screw you. I hate you. I ain't never come I'll never work you. The and I come in and them city boys were laughing. And I looked at them city boys, I said, you see that shit right there? Now that's how you quit a job. <laughs> <laughs> and bless her heart, she's still friends with me. She'll never work for me again. She said, nope, never. But I still love you, so. You're still friends with her? Oh, hell yeah. I'm trying not to make the enemies. I'm pretty forgiving about stuff.
2: Like I said, the bar can get a little rowdy. But as the pandemic hit the country and Texas, the good times kind of came to a halt. This time has been especially hard for bar and restaurant owners, whose entire businesses heavily rely on maskless people hanging out indoors. Ty saw this and did the math on what he stood to lose. Six months
4: of your annual income and your gross revenue is... I mean, I guess maybe a corporation can stand that crap, but a little businessman can.
2: Staring down the barrel of an uncertain future, Ty decided it was time to sell and exit the bar. No beer bottles were thrown this time, though. And he told me that despite the pandemic's impact on his business, he's really proud of the way the communities come together during this time and that he's glad to see tourists and travelers making their way back to town.
4: And that's one thing I will give this community credit for. that It, it can absorb all that without tearing itself apart. Everybody came together. Better times are coming. We got to get through this because... You know, we believe in the golden rule. We believe in 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 the good things in the world, and, and that's what we want.
2: Marfa is a special place. Not just because of the art, the isolation, the expansive landscape, the friendly townspeople, or that on any given day, Beyoncé could come walking through that door. But really, it's special because of the way all of those things intermingle. And that's what Ty's going to miss the most about the bar.
4: Culture comes to me here. That's what I like, and that's probably the thing I'm gonna miss the most about the saloon. Is every week there was somebody from another country, sometimes just inundated with people from all over the world.
2: That's what I like about Marfa. This is Marfa, Texas. Hey, thank you so much for listening. You can hear a bunch of our episodes at Greetings from Somewhere. They're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And every episode is different. I I go to places like Joshua Tree, Disney World, Burning Man, Scandinavia. I also explore ideas around travel. So check it out. The podcast is called Greetings from Somewhere. And thank you so much for listening.